Alrighty, welcome to Wednesday Night Musical Osmosis, where intelligent, dissonant thought meets melodic, euphonious reality. I am your musically magnetismous host, Nick the Saucy One Catsaurus, broadcasting to you live from the shadow of Hurricane Mountain here in Tennessee. And I want to go ahead and get in my producer, D, because tonight we've got a special co-host. D, are you with us? Yeah. Hello, Always. darling. What up, what up, what up? Nothing. I'm just getting over an amazing dinner that you cooked this evening. You're spoiling us oh. with Christmas goodies. It is Christmas, man. I'm like, okay, I need Oreo truffles. I need deep fried wings. I need everything that I can make. I mean, and I got new toys for Christmas. And to me, a new toy is like a food processor and deep fryer. And, yeah, you know. we already did our <laughs> Christmas. And I'm popping yes. tops. I'm popping Tums right now, just trying to get my stomach settled from all the goodies I ate today. All right, so usually we have Odell on the line um, co-hosting with me. However, this close to Christmas, we had decided we weren't going to do a show this week. But then I got the opportunity to actually have Corey Clark on today from uh, Warrior Soul. Sorry, there's a train going by. I had a chance to have Corey on today from Real Soul, and I didn't want to wait another month. This is the kind of interview you want to hop on and do it ASAP, and I was so excited. However, um, Odell was gracious enough to say, go ahead and do the interview without me. I wanted to get a co-host in here, because I love having someone else to mix it up with. First guy I thought of, you guys know him from a couple shows back when we did our Wilmer's Park Tribute show, my buddy Warlock. Hello, sir. Merry Christmas. Yeah, yeah. How you doing, sir? Happy Merry Christmas and Happy Holidays. Yeah, you don't have to be politically correct. You can say Merry Christmas here. It's a safe space. <laughs> yeah, we don't care. You're actually allowed yeah, to say yeah. it. I just want to, you know, touch all the bases since I'm liberal. Right, here. right. Well, you left out Kwanzaa, so I'm sure someone's pissed off somewhere out there. Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> happy Holidays. Uh, I'll cover that one. Please, please do. So, um, real quick. Let's get um, all the promo stuff out of the way. We've got this Sunday. I know Dee's excited. I'm excited. It's our big end of year show. We have, from Quick Draw, from the new HBO show, The Loop, you know him as a Geico caveman. I know him as one of the sweetest men alive, John Lear. We love having John on. He is always... Oh, my God. He's so... And not just because I've seen him... Asleep in bed with his dog, okay. Not not just because of that, courtesy of his wife, who is just I would love to meet her. She seems like such a doll. Um, but no, he he's awesome. And I'm hoping, I'm hoping we can get some news on Quick Draw. Rumor mill has it that there is something to tell. So hopefully we will have that news. I think Sean will have some news for us. And speaking of news, we are also going to have Sheila Shondell, alternative tattooed yeah. model, and because you guys have an announcement to make, right? Yes, um, we are. We're going to be combining our powers this year and uh, doing something new. And it's going to be tons of fun. And even if we screw it up, neither of us really, you know. You guys are sexy enough. Why? No one's going to care if you screw it up. Yeah. Yeah, right? So, so uh, good. 
Next on the list is another one of my favorite people. Can't believe how lucky I've gotten to be able to talk to all these amazing people. We are having William Sanderson on the same episode from New Heart, you know him as. I'm Larry, my brother Daryl, my other brother Daryl, from True Blood and from Deadwood and a multitude of other things. I'm like, he was in Blade Runner, and I didn't even make that connection because it had been so many years since I've seen that movie. Yeah, so, I've never seen it. So. He's been in everything. <laughs> um, William's always awesome. And then on the Kettle of Fish yeah. after show, presidential candidate who promises a pony to everyone who votes for him, and he wants to put us all in dental re-education camps. He wears a boot on his head when he gives his press conference. He's Mr. Vermin Supreme. Our an actual presidential hopeful. I mean, an actual, like, he, he's actually, I, I don't know, what are you calling? Is he in the running? Is he an actual presidential candidate? Or is he in the I, running? I think Trump the Nothing's ridiculous anymore. There are no rules. Right? Trump runs a ridiculous but, but what's the title for that? Like, we have to find out the title for that, because I want to address him. Hopeful. Is it just presidential hopeful? See? See, an actual, we're moving up in the world. He is actually on the Democratic ticket running for president, if that's the question you're asking. Mm-hmm. You Craziness. can go to the booth and see his name on the ticket, if that's the question you're asking. Love it. In the primaries, at least. I don't know how it's going to all pan out afterwards. Yeah. yeah. That is the situation. And then um, next Wednesday, at this very same bat channel, this very same bat time, the dead milkman will be on. And then we've also got next year, Jay Johnson from Soap will be coming on. Uh, Sunday the 13th. I don't know what we're going to talk about yet, but we'll have some stuff going there. And Soundhammer, which is a cosplay band, will be on, I think, the 16th or the 9th. Um, or no, I'm, nice. looking at, I'm looking at December. Sorry. It's Sunday the 10th and Wednesday the 13th. Soundhammer will be on. So we got lots of good stuff coming up. Plus, I am now writing for The Only News. So jump on If You Only News, look up Nikatsaurus, and you can read my delightful stuff. Yes, it is actually ifyouonlynews.com slash author slash Nick hyphen Katsouris. So, yes. All right. So we're going to have Corey's call back in because he's actually calling in from Malta and somewhere in the mm-hmm. Mediterranean Sea, I think. Let's um, go over what we like to do this day in rock history. Are you ready, Warlock? Ready. Wait, 1959, Chuck Berry was arrested for taking 13-year-old Janice Noreen, who was was actually, unbeknown to Berry, was working as a prostitute, a 14-year-old prostitute, over state lines. He was sentenced to five years, but when the judge made racist comments to him, his lawyer got the charges kicked. Did you know about this, Warlock? Uh, Yeah, I heard a little bit of something about that Chuck incident. Yeah, that was, God, 60 years ago or something. All right, what else do we have on here? There's a bunch of stuff. I'm just going to hit the ones that I find interesting. During a U.S. tour, the Beach Boys' Brian Wilson, with that new movie, Adam, we all know what's going on with him, had a nervous breakdown coming off a flight from Los Angeles to Houston and had to be committed on this day in history. Fascinating. No? Okay. I'm trying to get something that's going to grab you guys. Here's one that I find amazing. Five. I'm getting a lot of feedback. I'm getting here. a lot of feedback. Oh, mm-hmm. I don't know what's causing that. It's me, baby. Okay. 1985, mm-hmm. going an LL Cool J concert. 
in a roller rink in Baltimore, of all places, a fight broke out. One person was trampled to death and three people were shot. In Baltimore. Oh, wow. Their locks since it was right in your basic neck of the woods. Hmm. I think I lost Warlock. Yeah, hold on. I'm trying to get back in here. Okay. Let me move on to the there next one. Are you with us? Okay. Let me keep going on. Right, Warlock's in his technical issues. You with us, Warlock? Yeah, I'm back. I hear you. You got me? Yeah, I got yeah. you. All right. Thank you, sir. 1985, Judas Priest fans, Raymond Balknap and James Vance, shot themselves after listening to the Judas Priest album, Stained Glass. Now, I do remember when that was happening. I was a kid, but I do remember that happening. Yeah, that was, that's crazy. That was, that was a crazy time. Because, I mean, that caused, like, caused, like um, Geraldo to go into overdrive about the demon heavy metal music, and churches were, like, burning yeah. albums, and things got pretty crazy. Oh, yeah, dude. We got down to subliminal messaging, dude. They went all out on that one, dude. You oh, yeah. Albums backwards, and, you know, and, you know, it was weird. So I was listening to a docking album under lock and key on tape. And for all you kids out there, I was listening to a cassette tape, Google it. And um, I'm listening to <laughs> docking, and, and I'm playing In My Dreams. In my dreams, it's still the same. And my cousin Sophia came in. And I mean, we were 13 and 14 or something at the time. And she was very, very churchy type person. And she's like, what are you listening to? And I said, docking. And she's like, this is the devil's music. And I read the lyrics. I was like, talking all night in my dreams. I can't sleep. Night after night, don't know what it means in my dreams. What could I say or do? You won't come back. We're through. I realized too late that baby, our love is turned away. And she's like, no, yeah, that really means that you could you dedicate your soul to Satan. And I'll never forget this, dude. She rebukes my tape collection. But I had all my tapes like that. <laughs> She's like, I rebuke your tapes. This is a 14 year old. Oh my God. Serious. I rebuke your Dude, you got to warn me when you're doing shit like that. I had a drink in my mouth. I just about came out like, And I was like, what are you like, doing? And she's like, I'm summoning the devil out of the tapes. I don't have oh to get possessed by this devil music as you sleep. So, okay, we got a little bit off track here. Also born today, if anybody is a musician's musician, Adrian Blue, who has played on a number of albums, mm. and, of course, the name everybody know, household name, Eddie Vedder. It is mm-hmm. his birthday. Right on, right on. Anything, anybody. All right. On the line, and I always like to give a little setup, and this is another reason I asked you to co-host today, since Odell couldn't make it, Warlock. Is Corey Clark from the band Wolf of Soul? This is a band, and this is one of the things, one of the big things I want to talk to him about. I came up in the punk scene. I listened to metal when I was really little, but from like late teens and up, I was a punk guy. I went to all the punk shows, played in a punk band, and outside of like maybe DRI and Suicidal Tendencies, Warrior Soul was one of those metal bands that could cross into every genre. And when I went to parties, we were playing. Um, Drugs God and the New Republic. We were playing the first two, three Warrior Soul albums. We, you know, they were totally accepted in the punk community. And I think that has a lot to do with the lyrics and Corey's attitude. And I'm always amazed when there's those bands that are more than the sum of their parts. They're bigger than the metal scene. They cross over. You're not going to stick them in the same box with Poison and Warren and all that garbage. You know, you're, and 
Neil Iron Maiden is awesome. Ronnie James Dio is awesome. You're not going to put them in that box because that's a very exclusive sound to a very mm-hmm. exclusive. But when you have something like Warrior Soul, which rose in something that kind of imprinted on my musical DNA when I was writing, was the attitude. I can only describe it as like renegade rock, like just iron fist down your throat. It is what it is, rock. And I know you said when we said it meant his lyrics meant a lot to you, right? Hey, Nick. Yeah. Hey, Nick. I'm going to switch yeah. phones real quick. My phone keeps dying out of the storm, so I'm going to no. get another phone and get a better signal. Okay. Well, you I'm going to get Corey in here then. Yeah, give me Why? one second. I'll call you right back. All right. You got mm-hmm. it, sir. All right. So, anyway, that's my little setup. Um, like I said, Warrior Soul was a huge influence on me growing up playing music. The lyrics, the attitude, the music, it was one of those bands that were accepted in the punk scene, in the rock scene. I knew people, just regular people who've seen a couple of their videos on um, MTV back in the day, just kind of like, like, didn't have a theme. You know how like a lot of times it's like, you're a jock, you're a prep, just, just ordinary people. Everybody loves Warrior Soul. And I think the reason has to do with the genius that is Corey Clark's writing. So... Let me go ahead and get Corey in here. Warlock, you're back with us, right? Yes, I am. All right, come right on. All right, calling in, I believe, all the way from Malta. It's got to be like 2 a.m. there. Corey Clark, what is up? How do you guys do? Do you hear me all right? Yeah. yeah. It's, a little, it's a little bit, um, actually, but, yeah, totally can hear you, Corey. I want to thank you so much for calling in tonight. That's all right, man. That's right. Whatever, let's rock, dude. Absolutely, dude. And if um, you hear me kind of talking over you, I'm not being an ass. It's just we probably have a delay because you're on the other side of the fucking planet. Cool? <laughs> probably, yeah. But uh, uh, yeah, it's, no it's cool, so, man. I'm awake. I'm drinking beer. I'm all right. All right. Well, let's do this. I was listening to a couple of your interviews. Of course, your lyrics, a lot of those are very politically driven. I'm going to try not to turn this into a political interview. You know, everything you say is right on the fucking money. So I want to jump into just what I was saying in the intro. Me and my friends were in the punk scene. We all loved and respected Warrior Soul. The metal kids, just kind of ordinary kids who don't really have a pocket of music. Back in those days, everybody was really labeled. Did you try to cast like a really wide net and was like, I want to bring in as many people as possible? Or was it like, dude, this is just who I am, and you just fucking appeal to that many genres of people? Well, I was, I mean, I'm doing my own thing, really, but, the, you know, allowing myself to to expand out within, you know, the, the format that, they, that people were throwing out that time. I mean, we were just trying to just destroy the Hollywood metal scene. You know, <laughs> it was like we had enough of uh, cherry pie and that kind of crap. So it's like, come on, you know. I yeah, didn't really want to, do, you know, I didn't want to do rock really that much. It was kind of an antiquated thing for me at that point. But uh, also, it was was one way to get. It. I was like about twenty-five, and the only way. I was going to get a record deal as if I played that kind of music. So I tried to do it with a real twist and make it really important sounding. 
Well, I mean, you had you had a giant impact on a lot of us. And Warlock, I know you probably want to chime in because the first thing you said to me was like, and you've been a musician 30 years, and the first thing you said to me is they were a gigantic, especially Corey's lyrics, gigantic impact on me. Right, Warlock? Oh, yeah, and there was giant impact on the We're kind of losing you, Warlock. Can you hear me? Yeah. Kind of sort of. Can you hear me now? Well, let me, yeah, I got a stand in for you. This is the worst time I have there. Hold on. Okay. But, yeah, I mean, and you were definitely a huge impact on people. And I'm just wondering, looking at the scene back then and knowing how labeled and divided everything was, and, you know, you're, you're a glam metal, you're thrash metal, you're doom metal, and now it's more because of digital technology. Everybody kind of listens to everything. you think it was better yeah. back then when things were defined, or you think it's better now that it's kind of just thrown into a big stew pot and mixed up, musical-wise? Um, I know it was easier to market stuff back then. Um, you had less outlets. It was, you know, if, if you had control of the purse strings of the record companies, you were, uh, you, know, you had the power to really, you know, get yourself out there. You, I, even as an independent, you could you could do that as well back then. But now, I mean, you know, everything always kind of sucks anyway. <laughs> it right. It's really cool. You know what I mean? It just never gets really cool. It's, you know, it's always a struggle to to um, to go up, you know, ahead of the crowd or, or you know, away from the crowd. You kind of, you know, are your own individual kind of sound. And, um, people still seem to manage to label you, um, but uh, you know, I don't, I don't know. I think in a way it was a little better before, but I don't know. It always kind of sucked. I mean, and I agree, and it's really hard. I mean, it's hard for me to get excited, and I know I'm probably in the same age bracket as you are, and it's really hard for me to get excited yeah. over new music. And I stick things in, and it always occurs to me, like in 2009, you guys put out the story of the War Machine, and I remember that, that album just fucking floored me, and it still had the same punk political edge. And the thing I'm thinking is, like, how does he keep doing it year after year? How does he stay this passionate and this angry? I mean, I'm an angry old man, too, so I get it. But is it <laughs> You know what I'm saying? Just to keep up with that passion year after year after being immersed in it so long? I know. It's, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you got to be pretty pissed off. <laughs> you never said how did you get to imitate life. It's you know it's just it's, I don't know what to do you know it's like you, you try to forgive people but everybody's such dicks it's like, you know how do you do it you know so I guess just having that I think it's always important for me to express how I'm feeling about stuff and it's probably a little bit more healthy than holding it in but uh, the stick middle finger albums really got some cool stuff on it too yeah so, and I was checking that out recently as well yeah yeah. Planetary Revolution, Occupy, those songs are really good stuff. Well, let me ask you this then, just to kind of graze on the political outskirts here. You've always had a political edge. I can tell you're a political person. I definitely want to get you on our Ignorance Equation political show so we can really dig in. How much of that do you allow into the music? Do you draw a line and go, I can't make this just 10 or 12 fuck the corrupt system songs? Or do you try to find a balance, or do you just write and just let the music, just the chips fall where they may? Well, 
it's chips fall where they may, really. And uh, you just, I'm not, I don't concern myself with, with following a certain format. As you can tell, they've got pretty diversified catalog. But, oh, uh, yeah. Yeah, hey, Mick, really can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you, Warlock. Cool. Hey, Corey, I'm back in the day. You wrote Wasteland, and you called Donald Trump a money whore. Uh, how do you yeah. feel about him running for president now? It's retarded. <laughs> what is going on over there? It's crazy. <laughs> I, I try to ignore America. Well, you're, you're probably doing the smart thing. Do you find that um, – how long have you been living overseas? Quite a while now, right? Yeah, I, I, you know, sometimes I come back to the U.S., but I try to avoid it. Is it harder to write pissed-off music that has a political edge in any of the songs now that you're outside of that purview, now that you're overseas, or does it make it easier because you're looking from the outside looking in? Yeah, yeah. Well, you definitely get a different perspective. Um, it's just, it's so constantly beaten into your face, like, this, you know, the uh, the corporate agenda. Yeah, amen. They just pound it into your face. And when you're overseas, it's more like you don't ever hear about it. <laughs> like, yeah. And it's, and it's uh, you know, of course, the important thing, you can, if you want to get some highlights, you can tune in, you know, you know, the, the War and Peace Report, or you could, you know, you could find information outlets that are, are reasonably accurate. Uh, and you can figure out what's going on pretty easy. You don't need to be barraged, you know, with the guys just screaming at you at every bar you go to. They just television. These guys are see, and maybe the volume's not out, but still the ticker's running underneath, you know. And it's just, oh, you know, God, it, it really... I just noticed I've got less problems in my life when I'm not there. <laughs> and that's definitely interesting when you think about it. When you look back on your career, 25-plus years, when you're singing songs that have this political edge, where you now it's kind of trendy to hate the system, whether what side of the fence you fall on. It's trendy to hate the government, at least in this country. Do you get different well, feedback today than you got 25 years ago starting out? Well, you know, when I, when I tour the U.S., which is very rare anymore, um, there's just not that many venues for me, and nobody knows who I am anymore. It's because everybody's grown up. But um, the, um, I lost my train of thought there. But uh, what I do when I'm playing over here, I'm really have been always been accepted as an artist and as a sort of a, you know expatriate kind of you know defender of the people kind of thing. And wow. that, that goes that goes down pretty pretty good down in, in Europe and in England and wherever else. And it, it, it caused me some trouble because of the, in, in America when I was first coming out, because there's such a, uh, a Republican fascist, you know, almost like a bloodletting kind of, you know, like these people are like ferociously insane. You know, I I remember when Bush was getting elected, these people were just like frothing at the mouth at the at the convention. They were like losing their mind. Yeah, you and should see it now over here firsthand. Oh, yeah, it's, a, yeah. it's a fucking nightmare. Is it that? <laughs> oh man! I mean, Donald Trump's the front runner. You tell me. 
<laughs> and Ted Cruz is second place. He's just oh, a So I guess yeah. you don't have any immigration then, will you? <laughs> yeah, it's a circus over here. And, uh, Corey, I got, a, I got a question for you about music. Um, yeah. You did a tribute to Guns N' Roses, and you chose to do Paradise City. How did that feel after writing that great song, Downtown? I mean, they're like almost 10. Well, the, they handed me $1,000 cash, so I didn't really care. Hey, that's the way to do it. <laughs> Especially in the industry, It's like I tried to do something different with the song. I mean, let's say I can't stand it. I've heard it so many times. Like, if you play it one more time, you want to puke. But right. the thing is, the thing is, uh, when you're broke and you're living in Hollywood and they call up and they say, John Karabi's going to be on this album, blah, 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 going to be on this album. There's one song left. Will you please come and sing this? We'll give you a thousand cash. You usually go down there and do it. Okay, okay. Um, Let me jump in here real quick because I want to expand on that. You being kind of the anti-L.A. sound type of band, like you said, a fucking sledgehammer just trying to destroy it. How were you accepted by your peers? Did you get a lot of conflict with, like, a a Cinderella or a Guns N' Roses or a Warrant because you were kind of making a mockery of that glam scene? Well, Guns N' Roses really was the the harder edge of that, you know what I mean? Um, Right. The last time I saw Jamie Lane, I was playing with a band called Dirty Rig, and uh, we played with with, uh, Warrant. Uh, opening with Warrant in so in uh in New York. And uh he hid away from me. <laughs> wow. <laughs> I, oh man. I think I had sex with his tour maybe. But anyway Holy shit. So were you yeah. just kind of like the outsider freak in in that scene or were you fairly accepted? Well they, well, they you know they they would come over the house. I mean, the, the guys that really liked me with Metallica, we, we were pretty good friends, still are friends. But, uh, you know, just those guys really kind of stayed to themselves. And, you know, and Axe was, you know, so whacked out. I mean, I was friends with his brother, but we used to hang out all the time. But uh, we just never, we never hooked up like that. And then the Poison guys were just so poison. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, I, that. but they let me, in hindsight, um, I would have been hanging out with them because they had all the chicks and all the blow. Oh, yeah, that's party in the party with the hose and blow. Go ahead, Mark. You got it. Yeah, um, talking about the new album, I've been listening to three tracks off of it. Uh, Payback is a Bitch, Rock and yeah. Roll Genocide, and Freak. Um, right. What made you decide to go back with that more Indoors and modern sound, you added a lot of old, dirty rock to that, dude. I mean, that's yeah, good question. Mid blues. Well, I thought that would be a cool way to go. Um, the studio was really good, and I was working, and the engineers uh, and the guys working on the record with me were really good. And uh, I thought, you know, use the 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 people that are around the studio, the sax players. The violin guys, you know, these guys are all hanging around the studio. Yeah. So I thought, it'd be great to put these all together into the into the music and make it really, you know, try, organic meets modern, you know, try really. Yeah, yeah, I'm saying, dude. It was, yeah. I, um, it, is, it is an amazing spiritual piece of music. How are they, um, how are they accepting that overseas? That so is that, that there's a wide open market over there. Well, yeah, I got paid. <laughs> you know, 
it's uh, you know, it's a continually, I'm continually getting things on that record. It's um, it's got some really big singles. I really wanted to sell Jägermeister Machine to Jägermeister. Um, yeah. After you know, after following your fight with Geffen to get off the label and everything, how does it feel when they allow Guns N' Roses to come behind you and put out appetite for destruction? I mean, it that to me followed your debut album. You know, downtown is Paradise yeah. City. The Wasteland is Welcome to the Jungle. And, uh, oh, I, yeah. I, mean, I listened to everything they tracked and everything that you tracked, dude, and I was like, you know, I, I realized you were an artist at the time, so you were going to fight your way through that scene. Well, I I, um, I put that song Four More Years on, which is something those guys never could possibly do. But yeah. uh, it was, um, those are wild times, man. And if, if you feel like those songs uh, correlate with, with appetite, I wish my bank account would correlate with appetite. Ha <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but uh, I I appreciate you saying that. And I guess you could look at that as uh, it, it kind of has that feel to it. Um, it's, I, mean, I mean, I mean it yeah, about, Metallica changed the recording style. They went with Bob Rock. I mean, I'm in the, I mean, I'm away from the scene because I got pissed off at it, but you changed a lot of things they did, man. Thanks. Um, well, I. I wanted to work with Bob actually, and he refused to do it because he was kind of exclusive with them at that yeah. point. Gotcha. You know, I had, let I me jump in here real quick, Warlock, because I've got to get oh, to this. While we're running short on time here, I've got to get to this origin story because I don't know if this is just a rock and roll myth that Warrior Soul actually started as a bet, and you had bet that you could have the biggest rock band in New York. Within six months and nine months later, you're getting a million-dollar contract to Geffen. Is this true? You guys really started off as a bet? Well, I started – it was I, – I gave up rock and roll, and I was just doing spoken word. Um, and I, was, I had backing tracks and videos and, you know, Nazi atrocities and porn and McDonald's ads. <laughs> I was doing, you know, my – my spoken word songs a bit, and it was called Corey Clark Warrior Soul. And I played about six shows, and the last show I did like that, I played at the, uh, the Pyramid Club on Avenue A in New York City. And uh, the girl that was booking the show, I said, hey, how do you like the show? And, man, it was like one of the heaviest things ever, you know, like you said. It, it was heavy as hell. And uh, <laughs> she goes, you know, you really have to get a band, Corey. And I'm like, oh, God, i got to go back and do this crap again. I said, why do I need that? And she goes, well, that's what people want right now. They want the band. I'm like, oh, man, I've got to go back to this. I go, all right, well, look, I'm going to make a bet. I go, if i got to put a band together, I'm going to put it together, and I'm going to have the best band in New York City in six months. And that's what happened. That's what I did. Yes, that was fucking amazing. Um, Let me ask you this. Jack's opposed against your art. Do you feel like you've kind of abandoned the focus on your art to do this music thing? Because I notice you always go back to Warrior Soul, no matter how many different projects you get in. And I think Warrior yeah. Soul broke up in the mid-'90s, and you did Space Age Playboys, and then it, they came okay. back. It's always back to that first impetus of Warrior Soul. Do you feel like you had to put your art career to the side, and now you're sucked into this Warrior Soul vortex forever? <laughs> 
Well, but it's not a bad vortex to be sucked into. Oh, no, definitely not. But the thing is, with Warriors, so I can do anything I want. Like, the album Chill Pill is completely, you know, different from other Warriors Soul records. Yeah, and, definitely. Uh, I, and if you listen to the sound on Destroy the War Machine, it's a much more industrial sound, really. Yeah. Um, the other album you should really check out is what I did with... Uh, Paul Raven from Killing Joke, and, and Paul, and uh, who else is in? Uh, whatever. Uh, but the the band was called Mob Research. You heard that? No, I'm not familiar with that. Yeah, yeah, no, I got to listen to that one. Now, Mob Research is my political, serious, uh, that is the, sort of the ultimate political record. And uh, from Killing Joke in, on bass, and Mark Waite, Jim and I um, from The Mission on guitar, and uh, one of the drummers from Queens of the Stone Age uh, is, on, is on that record. So, hey, you should definitely check that out. Mob Research is pretty bad. Right, yeah, no, definitely. definitely will. I'm Google, man. Google. Hey, Nick, can I ask a question real quick? Yeah, go ahead, Um Since we were talking about your spoken word thing, I want to know as a, as a singer and also as a musician, do you fit your lyrics to your music or the music is, you know, born around the lyrics great that you question. have in your head and your vision? It's a great question. I mean, sometimes it's, it goes one way and sometimes it goes the other way. Um, mm-hmm. A lot of times, I'd say 70% of the time, I like to get the chorus first. And then I start working the words around that chorus. Um, and the music, you know, like I said, it's about a 50-50 split. Sometimes it's the lyric that, that drives the the lyrics, and then sometimes it's the lyric that drives the riffs. Um, okay. It, it, I use, hey, if I come up with a song, I don't care how it comes up. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, two questions, well, me, then, I, then, I drop, then I drop out of this. Uh, who would be your ideal producer to work with, and do you still keep in touch with Rico, the first guitar player off your debut album? Uh, let's see. No comment, Rico. Um, producer would be. I don't know. I, I, you know, I, I mean, of course, we'd all like to work with Rick Rubin. Um, you know, any, you know, just trying to think. Uh, I can't think of anybody off the top of my head that I want to work with right now. But I would love to work with Steve really wide or someone like that. And the reason and the reason I brought up Rico was, you know, he was the first minority in, you know, a big band that would never sign. I mean, at the time, you know, you're looking at glam rock. Yeah, I ain't gonna lie, it's a white boy party scene and here you come out and your guitar player is a minority. I mean it's one of the ones that made me pick my guitar back up. Uh, well, you know, they gave me a lot of help for that. Um I bet. They they, they didn't want the first thing they did was when I engineered the, the getting signed a bit. Uh, the first thing they did is like, we want to fire your whole band. Uh, we want to hire a new band. And I'm like, all right, because I'm the guy that signed on, on the deal. So I said, okay, well, you can get rid of these guys, some of these guys, but uh, I'm keeping my bass player, Pete McClanahan. And they're like, yeah, okay, okay. So I got another guitar player. Guess what? He's black. <laughs> yeah. And, and he was one of my best friends, Joe Collins, uh, out of Detroit. Great player. 
Yeah. And, I mean, and I, I mean, the stories are too long to tell the, the full length, but they really abused me and said that mixed bands would never sell on MTV. Uh, Holy shit. And they, yeah. And they forced me to get rid of him. They said, um, they said, if you don't get rid of them, you know, that's okay. And I go, well, I'll just leave the label and talk to you guys. And they go, oh, no, because you got a contract and we're going to keep you locked up till you're 35 years old. You won't be able to put out anything. And that's what he said when I was at the lawyer's office. That's Geffen's top lawyer to my lawyer. Yeah. So I, yeah, like, I can't I even Jack- imagine going through that kind oh, of shit. Is. Yeah, we don't have to be in the book. <laughs> yeah, I can say that. Like- <laughs> That's right. Yeah, exactly. I something about you coming out with a biography. Is that true or just more internet chatter? No, I keep threatening to do this. And it, you know, it's so hard to write a book. You have no idea. It just, you know, you start reading it like, like when you're writing about yourself, it's so blank. It's just like, God, I'm such a loser. <laughs> the, the program down, I just go to the box again. <laughs> But you know, people want to read it, though, right? You're selling yourself a little short. People would love to read that book. I just read the book uh, Fuck by Rock by Mark Manning of Zodiac Mind Warp. And, I mean, that book fucking floored me. Oh, Manning's hilarious, too. Yeah. You know, we know him pretty well. And I've read some of his stuff. It's really funny, though. Really funny stuff. Um, Really great guy. But, uh, yeah. Yeah, I'd love to put this book out. I know, you know, I keep saying every January when I run the sign, it's like, okay, now it's going to be four hours in the morning and four hours at night. And then it goes down to like two hours, then an hour, then a half. And then it's just like, forget it. Just go to the bar. I mean, it's a monster, man. I mean, I had a, um, a, a semi-book deal and my publicist actually just moved to England, and things kind of fell apart. But when I was in that process trying to put pen to paper, it was so overwhelming. It's like, okay, I could put a bit here and a bit here and a bit here, but trying to sew it all together into, like, this fucking Frankenstein monster of a book, it was just so much. It just all fell apart in my hands. It just dissolved in my hands when I tried to do it. So I've kind of put that on the side back burner for now. Um, Me and my... Uh, me and my girlfriend are going to try and really make a super attempt at it. And I think what it's just going to be, I'm just going to start with just doing the funny stories and just have the book mainly funny stories until I can come up with a, a you know, like a narrative bit. You know, you know, Penguin books or Viking press, you know, they want to have that little narrative press going on where you're like in the hospital dying or something and you keep telling these stories. But you, then you wake up and the nurse is giving you an IV, you know. They want to have that little thing running through the whole book, but and I, I think it's a bit silly. I just oh, yeah. this. And I mean, I think um, your book would be honest, and that's what people eat up. I mean, just honest. That's why Manning's book was so incredible, because yeah, yeah. it's a filter. And I think people would eat that up, man, if you can just get discipline, put pen to paper, yeah. and put it out there. Everybody's going to want to read it, I think. Yeah, you could do it in almost a magazine format as well. You don't have to do like a full huge thing. You could probably sell two or three, you know, things on that level. You know, 
more of a comic book kind of thing would be great. Well, there you go, so, man. Write your own script. Yeah. You always have. So, I mean, I know you can definitely yeah. do that. Hey, well, yeah. I got to get the last couple questions because we only got a few minutes left. And there's hey, a couple things. One and I'll let it go. Wait, Dad, I just want to ask him one question. Yeah, yeah, go ahead. Get it in. All right. Um, your song, Rock and Roll Genocide, I love the lyrics in it. And going from those yeah. lyrics, how do you feel about the statement that Gene Simmons made about rock being dead, you know, in the state of death? It's not what it was. Who said rock's gay? Yeah, he said rock's dead, dude. He says, you know, it's now all rap yeah. and pop. Yeah, well, in many ways he's right, but, you know, I look at it more like country music or jazz. Uh-huh. It's like it's taken that sort of slot. Instead of being the number one entertainment thing, it's kind of got become more of a specialized, uh, you know, it's it's grown up. It's uh, you know, and well, let me um, Gene, you know, walking around, bloated out in those bucket pants. Come on, dude, <laughs> rock is dead for you, bro. <laughs> <laughs> cool. Hey, Nick, yeah. thanks for letting me be on the show, man. And Coy, it's been a pleasure talking to you. All right, well, thanks for um, jumping in today and um, co-hosting with me. All right, Coy, let me get to these last couple points because I've been a big fan for a long time. A couple things I want to pick your brain at because you're such an enigma. When going back to the political edge thing, do you think a band has a responsibility so if they've got this platform, they've got an audience, they've got fans, they've got people's ears, should they be saying something culturally relevant? Should they be pointing out the corruption in the system? Or is it okay to put four fucking albums out about partying and getting laid? Um, I, think, I, I think partying and getting laid is pretty cool. That's <laughs> awesome. But you also yeah, mix it, it up with stuff that matters. But, you know, for me to be interested in, in uh, performing it, night after night, year after year, I've got to put something in that's socially relevant. I mean, I'm a, you know, I'm a rabble-rousing, fist-in-the-air kind of, that's March on Washington kind of guy. So that's, you know, I don't I don't think it's for everybody, though. I mean, it'd be hard for me to stomach Brett Michaels singing the kind of stuff I sing. But, uh, you know, it is, it's a pretty, pretty funny. And, and, you know, that guy's a pretty cool guy. It's a, you know, it's, so it's not for everybody. No, it's if you want to make a social statement, you know, if you got the guts to do it and you want to stick your neck out, I think you should do it. But if not, you know, maybe you should just go party. <laughs> well, I mean, from I'm from like I said, the punk scene, and when I wrote music, I always tried to have a statement in there, and it doesn't have to be, of course what your band is 100%. But I think if you've got people's ears, you should be saying something that's going to make people think. And that's why Warrior Soul was accepted in a punk culture, because your attitude and your lyrics, they were a sledgehammer. They were saying something, and people were listening yeah. to you. Well, and it's and uh, and, and it's, it's done well for me over the years. And in a way, you know, this fine line is finally coming of age, and people are starting to recognize it and... Uh, yeah, I do. I do pretty well right now. Fair enough. Okay, let me ask you about your career because I went pretty far down the Corey Clark, um, Clark rabbit hole here, looking at your career and all the different bands you've been in. And like I said, it always comes back to Warrior Soul. One thing that yeah. struck me: How does it feel playing music with a totally different band today, named Warrior Soul, playing those songs as opposed to where you started? Does it have a different energy and vibe? 
or are you still the embodiment of Warrior Soul, and it just feels the same no matter who you're playing it with? Well, I well, I mean, obviously, for my part, it's pretty much the same. Um, there is different fields to different players. Uh, I'm players all over the world, so I just one long guy. I feel like using that guy for a week or so. I just call him up, or you know, I can mix and match. It's kind of more like having a, a jazz band, where you get a really good player to come in and you know do right do the songs that you've written, and uh, it's kind of it's actually pretty refreshing because you know. The the first guitar player, who was the first one fired out of that lineup, the uh, the Geffen lineup, right? Um, he he was gone in 1993. So Damn. I've had, I've had a revolving door with Warrior Soul for 20 years or something, <laughs> something crazy like that. Does one lineup feel more natural than the other, or is it like I'm doing my thing and these guys are just back in my place? Um, no, because I get I get on and I do albums with the guys that are, you know come in and come out. Like for instance, Willa Lundell from Stockholm did the Destroy the War Machine record, so yeah. he has a, a wonderful continuity. And he's got a wide open playing style, so it's like a lot more open and less control. It's more punked out, and, and like, and a lot of the personality that you find different is in drummers. Drummers can change the personality of a band like that. So, I agree. Um, I have I have two or three that I really like to work with that are explosive and really great, and um, there is a continuity to to the music and the performances, even though I'm using different players. All righty. Okay, let me kind of wrap it up with this. Looking back, because your career, like I said, I went down the Corey rabbit hole. It's amazing to me. I'm looking at everything you've done. Looking back then, and you were on MTV, and metal was exploding in the mid-'80s to probably mid-'90s. And now you kind of... Yeah, I mean, there was, it was everywhere. Everybody was listening to metal back then. And now you have so much different types of music. Everything's kind of a hodgepodge now. How does it feel different today, kind of like doing your thing, drawing your crowds, as opposed to when it was the end thing? Um, it's it's harder, obviously. Uh, and Does know, it feel more pure because you stripped away of all that commercialism? Well, there was more of like a, it felt more competitive at that point. You were like really trying to compete to be the number one band out there, to be, you know, to beat the other guys somehow, to to be more clever than them, to, you know, draw more people. And, and like, you were kind of looked at, you know, if you sold this many records, you know, you'd get a certain look. And then if, if another guy sold more records, you'd like kind of look at them like, hey, you know. I wish I did that, oh, man. You, you know, feel a little bit jealousy. You know, that right. kind of feel. That kind of feeling has gone away. It, and maybe it's because of age as well. But uh, I don't feel that much com- competition anymore. You know, because as far as I'm concerned, I won. But uh. yeah, the um, the uh, you know that was a, a major factor back then, and a big difference. At um, 
I don't know. I still the success of, of the DJ culture. I still can't imagine myself being a DJ in this your hand in a lot of different pies. I don't even know when you come up for air because you do so much. I don't. When, when do you even find time to freaking sleep at this point? You're always uh, doing some kind of project. It seems like. Oh, believe me, I get plenty of rest. <laughs> All right. Well, fair enough. All righty. Um, one more thing, I want to talk about the actual Corey Clark album. How is that separate from Warrior Soul, and why are you doing Payback's a Bitch? Why are you doing the solo album compared to just performing with the group? What's the different feel? What's the benefit, the payoff for you creatively? Sometimes I want to do stuff that's, uh, you know, that whatever it doesn't fit in with a Warrior Soul record, uh, I like to put into my solo project. Like sometimes I want to step way out, like the Opium Hotel series. Right. Um, I'll be able to do. That's some pretty far out stuff. That I wouldn't, necess- I wouldn't necessarily put that onto a Warrior Soul record. Um, so kind of that's how I do it. If it's going to be more wild and more out and cross genres a lot, then I'll, I'll put it under my own name. Um, and then when I get back to Warrior Soul, if I'm not in another band, when I get back to doing a Warrior Soul album, which I'll probably do this year, um, then I can I can focus on what Warrior Soul is, you know, and and give my audience what they really really want. So the stuff on the Corey album is it stuff that just didn't work for Warrior Soul? Is it stuff that you feel a need to write during downtime? It was more of a downtime kind of thing, more of a jammy record, really. Um, you know, they just. It's it's got more of an eclectic feel than than a normal word so record would have. Yeah, I definitely get that. All right, that's a good place to stop. We've only got a couple minutes left. Corey, can I thank you enough? You do not know what a thrill this is for somebody who's been listening to you for 25 years. And not just music. Anybody can put in, like I said, an Iron Maiden album and be like, this is awesome. But your lyrics have resonated with me. So I want to thank you for that. That's been printed on my DNA. And I'm sure I'm not the only person in the world that feels that way. You've probably touched millions of people through your career with your music. So a big thank you from us. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. And good luck with everything. Yes, sir. And on your way out the door, please tell everybody where they can find you and what you're working on. Uh, well, uh, I've been doing some painting, and uh, I've got some paintings laying around. If, uh, go to my Facebook and go to Warrior Soul Facebook. Uh, I think yeah, that's probably the best way to get a hold of me. Um, and, uh, you know, I just I wish everybody good luck on this holiday, and I hope, I hope we come through it. Unscathed this year. Yeah, it's pretty damn scary out there. Corey, I'll be in touch. I want to get you on the political show because I have a feeling me and you would have an awesome time waxing political together. So I'll definitely be in touch with you, Corey. Well, thank you, man. Have a good good time tomorrow or next day, and then have a happy new year, and I'll talk to you next year. All righty, sir. You have a good holiday. All right, I'm going to end the show there. With my favorite, one of my favorites, I don't really have an exact favorite, but one of my favorite Warrior Soul songs, Fort Reich. Fourth Reich, I can't talk tonight. Fourth Reich, here yeah. we go. Good night, guys.
against our nation will not stand. And now if you join me in a moment of silence. I like the fish. And I hope it's not going to take uh, another 9-11. You have to prove Being backed by Iran and setting up camp on America's doorstep? States is that we have to be right one time. I mean, 100% of the time. 
righty. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in tonight to Musical Osmosis. We will be back in one week with the Dead Milkman, and then I believe two weeks after that with the cosplay band Soundhammer. Dee, thank you so much for sticking around and helping us through all our technical mm-hmm. issues. As always, you are awesome. This is the part where I'm trying to drag out the last minute of the show. Because <laughs> I want to give everybody the exact 60 minutes that I promised. But that was amazing. Oh. That was a big... <laughs> thrill for me to talk to somebody and I wasn't just spoiling Snowman. Cool. Corey's lyrics had a huge oh, yeah. impact on me as a kid and um, it really really um, played into a big part of my punk writing and just I mean attitude goes a long way dude stage presence goes a long way you know what mm-hmm. I'm saying like Iron Maiden once again not to take anything away from Iron Maiden and Dio I had a Ronnie James Dio framed poster over my bed I loved Dio. Dude, you still like you're you loved it. I mean, come on. What else do you like sing to me in the car and with you know, like it Yeah, definitely. But it didn't impact me in the same way that Warrior Soul did because Warrior Soul had that attitude that kinda of rubbed off on me and woke me up. Once again when I talked about the pissed, same type of situation. It grabbed me, it shook me, it woke me up. And you know, how do you say thank you enough? To somebody who has given you that, a complete stranger who has given you right. that higher knowledge. Anyways, guys, um, I, we're at the 30-second mark. I guess this is good enough to end. Thank you, everybody, for tuning in tonight. Everybody have a safe and a very Merry Christmas. I can say that. Merry Christmas. Right. Have Merry a good holiday. Merry Christmas. <laughs> All righty, guys. Good night. <laughs>